0: Our gospel reading today comes from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 21, and I invite you to read along in your bulletin or in your Bible with me. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the mountain of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them This is the Word of God for us the people of God. Be to God you may be seated
1: Jack as a fellow trumpet player I'm proud to to be one of you uh, man that was awesome thank you so much for sharing your gifts and your talents with us and to the choir um, for sharing that Palm Sunday anthem sometimes. When, when I ask for something, I don't really fully realize what I'm asking for. <laughs> um, and maybe maybe it's not just me, but maybe you too. We end up, occasionally, we end up getting much more than we bargained for and we set out for. And let me give you an example. A month ago, we ordered a new dresser from IKEA. And, we <laughs> whoa, whoa, hold on. I'm, no, 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 I'm not there. <laughs> we needed some extra space to put clothes and I knew that with this dresser this is what I would get, but did I actually know what I was getting into? Did I know that it would come in three giant boxes and it would take three days to put together? No, but I do now. And it's kind of like when parents ask me to baptize their child. Bo, you make a covenant and answer some weighty questions that are hard to fathom but easy to say yes to. And the real understanding of the commitment comes with time and the weeks and the months and the years that follow. It's difficult to fully comprehend what you've gotten yourself into at the moment of asking, but it comes eventually. And I feel similarly about the people waving and placing palm branches before Jesus as he enters Jerusalem on a donkey. I don't think they have a full concept of what they've gotten themselves into. I believe they cry Hosanna and wave palm branches with a sense of urgency, knowing full well what they are asking for, and what they want. However, the reality of the salvation that comes is far different from what is expected. And the salvation these folks are after is deeply influenced by two very powerful things in the scope of human emotion and understanding, nostalgia and fear. (laughs) I was listening to a song the other day. When it comes to nostalgia, everyone is a victim. There's this great song by Dawes, and the chorus goes like this. I hope that life without a chaperone is what you thought it would be. I hope your brother's El Camino runs forever. I hope the world sees the same person that you always were to me, and may all your favorite bands stay together. <laughs> that's, a, that's a wish, an ode to nostalgia, to hoping things remain like they are, or maybe be like they once were. And when these folks cry Hosanna, which means save us now, they are crying out, save us from our occupiers, from the Roman government, and lead us back to what we once were, the days of David and Solomon. The days of the first temple save us from our current captors so that our present can look more like what Bruce Springsteen calls the glory days. That's what the palm branches are a symbol of, the glory days. These folks are actually recreating an image from the last time they overthrew their conquerors. Around 160 BC, Judas Maccabee led a revolution to reclaim independence in the holy city and the temple for the Jewish people and in celebration of a reclaimed and redeemed land, the people carried what? Palm branches. They waved them and sticks decorated with ivy and they paraded around singing grateful praises to the one who brought them out of persecution and brought the purification of the temple. So when the Palm Sunday crowd gathers and waves palm branches and shouts, Hosanna, save us, I think some of them have an idea of what they seek. Independence, self-governance, self Reliance, the downfall of the Romans from their land, and a way back to the days of David and Saul, the good old days, the glory days. They look at Jesus and they see in this man exactly what they want, and I imagine they think they will get it. And they do so because they long for what once was. But not only nostalgia, fear plays into it, they share great fear for the present and the coming days. They fear that they will lose what makes them special, distinct. They fear the loss of their way of life. They fear that without their own nation and independence, they will be killed or worse, become like the Romans. They fear that the future is dark and their faith and their law will be watered down and become a shell of what it once was. And it seems to many that Jesus may be the antidote to that fear. Perhaps Jesus in the overthrow Of this foreign power might not only bring us back to the glory days, but also might do away with the fear once and for all. Of course, in the background are the religious leaders. They too have fear, but their fear is because Jesus threatens the current state of things, the perceived peace. They don't really want him to mess that up. Unlike the people who are fearful of what might happen if they don't revolt, some of the religious leaders are fearful of what might happen if they do. And I think Jesus understands all of these concerns, what the crowd feels and thinks and desires, what the Pharisees fear and worry about. But Jesus is not someone who leads out of nostalgia, for once was, or fear for the present. Jesus always leads from a place of hope for the future. Historian John Meacham says this fear feeds anxiety and produces anger, hope, breeds optimism and feelings of well-being, fear is about limits, hope is about growth, fear casts its eyes warily, even shiftily across the landscape, hope looks forward toward the horizon, fear points at others, assigning blame, hope points ahead, working for a common good, fear pushes away, hope pulls others closer, fear divides, hope unifies, there is within many of us, or I'll speak for me, there is within me (laughs) a nostalgia for glory days and a fear of what might disrupt the present, So I cry, so we cry, save us, now, bring salvation, now, Hosanna. And when we ask God for salvation, we often do so, I often do so with an image in my mind of exactly what that salvation looks like for me, what I want, and what God's path for success looks like. I wish he'd just asked me. (laughs) Professor Douglas Hare out of Pittsburgh writes, how easy it is For us to think that by celebrating Palm Sunday, we acknowledge Jesus as king in a way that Jerusalem failed to do. Today, I can't help but wonder as we cry out to Jesus today, Jesus save us, Hosanna, bring salvation. Do we actually know what we're getting into when we say that? Do we know what we're really asking for? Because if Palm Sunday and Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday show us anything, it's that odds are the realized solution that we cry out for is going to be far different from what we expect, from what we want, from what we think is best. All week, um, I've been thinking about today of Palm Sunday of what it means, and the irony in waving branches and shouting Hosanna, I've constantly constantly come back to this, that in Nashville, Tennessee today, there are a handful of kids that are not waving palm branches. There are families today who are crying out for salvation from the pain and horror of loss, from the occupation of senseless death and violence upon their lives, that will lead them to deep questions and haunted images and devastation forever. And we gather together today in a very Palm Sunday way. We pray for these families and their loved ones. We pray for the teachers, the administrators of the school. We pray for the city of Nashville. We pray for our country that seems to be part of an epidemic lately. We're being shot, whether mass shooting, accident, suicide, etc., as past traffic as the number one cause of death among children and adolescents. And we pray for deliverance from such things. We ask God for mercy and to act and to help us. We shout, Hosanna, save us. And in a moment, in the Lord's Prayer, we will pray to God, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven, week after week, we ask God to truly make this a kingdom of God, one that Jesus told us belongs to ones such as these, such as the ones who walked around with palm branches today, these children. But I wonder this morning, to myself, in the midst of my prayer and my cry, Hosanna, I wonder if I really know what I'm asking for. I wonder if we're really willing to follow Jesus toward the that kind of kingdom, are we willing to follow Jesus that much to the full realization of the kingdom of heaven on earth? And if so, I think it's going to require a lot of me, of us, of you. And it's going to alter our worlds and our loyalties and our ideas of how best to go about ordering and caring for this world, and it should. After all, Jesus is always really good about subverting our expectations and assumptions for the sake of a radical kind of peace. Henry Nowen's friend, Robert Jonas, writes in a book for his friend, Peacemaking must be the primary focus of all, whether in or out of power. But the temptations to personal power are too intense to be overcome by our insistently self centered egos. Therefore, the peace must be. God's peace. It must be divine peace, a peace that is freely available when we turn to Jesus. Jesus is the model of the ultimate peacemaker, always pointing to Abba Father as the ultimate source of peace, of justice, of goodness, of mercy, of love, and creativity. And in order to claim peace, we must relinquish our own private agendas and let ourselves be claimed by God. That's one way to say it. I think Paul, the apostle, goes a step farther. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In John chapter 15, Jesus is sharing his farewell speech with his disciples, and he says to them, my command to you is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command His command here isn't to love God or love neighbor, like he said, the greatest commandment. It is to love each other in the way that he has loved us. And how has Jesus loved us? By laying down everything, everything. Gil Watson once said, love isn't really love until you give it away. And Jesus says, if you can live and love like that, you can call me a friend. That's my prayer for you today, for me, that we might love like that in the most sacrificial way possible. I pray that we might let sacrificial love be our guiding principle, that we might cease to live and that Christ might live in us. And perhaps if that happens, we will seek less of what we want, of what we think Jesus should be, of what we can control. Perhaps we might be less loyal to this world and its tribes, and power structures, and more loyal to Jesus Christ and his vision for this broken world. And I think if that can happen, this world might finally change for the better. And I think that if that can happen, if this world can turn inward and, then t- and turn to Jesus, then the students and staff of Covenant, Evelyn, William, Hallie, Mike, Cynthia, Catherine, and Audrey, could very well be the last in this wave. But do we actually want that, I wonder? Are we actually willing to let Jesus live that completely in us? (laughs) Worship leader David Crowder has a song, and the lyrics talk about the the incredible love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us, for you, and for me. And I think they get at what is somewhere deep in all of us. He says, I don't know what to do with a love like that. I don't know how to be a love like that. When all the love in the world is right here among us and hatred too, we must choose what our hands will do, and surely we can change. For the problem, it seems, is with you and with me, not the love who came to repair everything. So today I'm simply just asking for hope, for love for God to make me a disciple and to make you a disciple who cares more for the things that Jesus cares for. And I don't know what that means for me. Maybe I don't know really what I'm asking for. I don't know the consequences of those questions yet. I don't know where God will lead, but, but we need salvation. We cry out, Hosanna, save us now, oh God. Let us pray. Oh God, let us never give up hope for the future, for a future of heaven on earth, for your kingdom to come and to make its place in our hearts. God, our hearts are cluttered. Help us to make more room for you so that in our lives, it is not us, it is not we who make decisions but it is you in us. It is you living in us. Save us now, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.